Job 42, we're going to read the entirety of the chapter, all 17 long verses. Beginning in verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare unto me, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad uh, the Shuite, and Zephor the Naamathite, went and did according to the, as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemimiah. Uh, I don't know if that's Aunt Jemima. <laughs> Sorry. And the name of the second uh, Keziah, and the name of the third, and here it is, they really give it to me here, Karen Haphook, something to that effect, Lord help me. <clears throat> and in all the land uh, were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job in a hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died, being old and a full full of days. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place corporately, and we pray that you meet with us. I pray that the Word of God would touch hearts and move in lives in a way that, uh, Lord, would be a blessing and in a way that would conform us to Christ today. Help us, Lord, to be yielding to what you have for us in our lives, and we pray that you would work in our midst. Now, bless now as we look at your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, I think we'll, Lord willing, I'll get through the bottom of this notebook I got here. Um, we'll close out uh, Job. And so we're just going to look at some comments from this last chapter and then maybe some uh, basic applications as we get to the end of, uh, of the lesson this morning and maybe perhaps just some closing thoughts on Job uh, and what we've looked at over the last few weeks. Um, <clears throat> but after... Elihu concluded his speech, we saw in chapter 38, uh, God began to speak out of a whirlwind, uh, 38 chapter 1, and, or ver, chapter 38 verse 1, and we know that God asked Job a series of questions there. There were over 70, there were, there were I think 70 if I remember right based on my count, 70 questions concerning his creation and his management of things. 
and because we know that Job wanted a meeting with God. Uh, he had requested that. He wanted to go before his God. And I don't know if you remember this. This is kind of being, I'm just coming to my mind now. Job had requested that, and, and Job gets it. And Job's response is none less than what we would expect when you come in contact with a holy God. And he, he accounts himself vile before him. And in, in, in the previous chapter, I think chapter 40, he says he's going to put his hand over his mouth. He's in no place. Even though sometimes in our, in our grief or in our affliction, we feel like we just want to appeal to our God. But the reality is uh, we just need to be still and know sometimes and understand that, that God's in control. Um, anyway, sorry, that, that's a distraction. But God ans- asks a series of those questions, and, and through this barrage of questions, Job really realizes his challenge to contend with God in the court of law is presumptuous, and that he is vile. Uh, look at chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, if you would, just as a reminder. Oh, I got confused here. My, I'm in the book of Psalms all of a sudden. Job 43 and 5, it says this, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer yea twice, but I will proceed no further. And so I, I can't help but think that sometimes we think we have a lot to say to God. And we get frustrated with what He's allowing in our life. And perhaps we get presumptuous, and, uh, but if we ever truly understood who God is, and all the things that we see in this earth, God controls. And who are we to think that we even have an idea or a clue of the magnificence and, and the majesty of our God that created everything and in control of everything? All the things that were coming about Job, God had allowed, and he was just in doing so. Uh, we ought not question our God. And so Job now has a new understanding of the greatness and sovereignty of God. And look how he responds. In, in back to chapter 42 and verse 2, it says, I know that thou canst do everything. We have an almighty God. We have an omnipotent God. And Job now begins to understand that, wow, I, boy, was I clueless about what was taking place. And that no thought can be withholded from thee. Job acknowledges that God is omnipotent. And that man ought to be submissive under his infinite power. And to me, that's a comfort knowing that I don't have to control everything. Knowing that I don't have to have the answers to everything because I serve a God, I serve a heavenly father that has all the answers. That is going to work things out according to his plan and his will and his pleasure. And so we need to just trust him. And the song that Brother Sullivan selected for this morning is very appropriate. Uh, and I don't have that song in my notes, but the thought there about farther along, listen, the Lord's going to reveal all this and he's going to let us, we'll understand better in the coming days. Um, And Job really is overwhelmed. We see in verses three through four, and as a result, he confesses to God that he is talking about things that he doesn't understand. These things are above his head. Look at Uh, Verses 3 through uh, 4, it says here, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, uh, excuse me, therefore have I uttered that I understand not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, I 
and I will speak and will defend of thee and declare unto me. And so Job, he really just begins to understand who God is. The things that are too wonderful for him to know. It's a blessing to know that we serve a God that's wiser than us. As I get older and I realize, boy, it takes time to develop wisdom. It takes time to develop experience. And I have one of my boys that's right at the peak of thinking he knows how life operates. But he has no clue. And we try to counsel and we try to guide and direct him. And the reality is I try to redirect him to the Word of God. Uh, listen to your elders. Listen to what the Word of God says. Because you're not as smart as you think. And, and it listen, it's, I don't know why. Sometimes I, I share things that I'm just being open with you tonight. It's nerve-wracking to think that I'm raising kids that are going to go out into the world. I want them to serve God. I've taught them the biblical principles that they ought to live by. But boy, that's nerve-wracking. What are these clowns going to do when they get out there? I want the Dugarmo name not to be a burden when people hear it. But I can't control that. And listen, we just need to trust our God in all of it. We've got to do our part, be obedient, train our children. Whatever the situation of life you're in, contribute to the, the training of your grandchildren, and you just got to trust God. But Job, he's over, over, uh, overwhelmed. He, there's just, it's too wonderful for him. As we looked at the description of what God had laid out, it was just amazing. Our, our God's amazing. Uh, it's beyond our comprehension. In 5 through 6, uh, Job despises himself. He, he repents in, in dust and ashes. And I believe he's repenting from the sins that have allegedly brought on this affliction or this adversity in his life. Of course, we know Job was upright in his dealings. He, he was a man of God. He lived according to the word of God. Uh, we've looked at that over and over. Uh, but he is acknowledging who God is. And what a, what a blessed thing to see this in, in the life of Job. Uh, he perhaps is re- repenting of his arrogance and questioning God's justice. And, and perhaps in the fact that he believes God owes him an explanation. Uh, but compared with a, a pure and holy God, he saw that he was utterly vile. And was not, and, and listen, he recognized that and he was willing to confess it. To acknowledge who God is. And, and to confess or to repent. And so after this, God reprimands Eliphaz. Verses 7 and 8. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words <clears throat> unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. God's calling them on the carpet. They've made a lot of allegations about how God conducts himself and how God operates. And God calls them out and says, that's not how I operate. You've made an unfair assessment of an almighty holy God. Listen, don't be presumptuous and assume you understand how God works. And I would make that especially applicable when you look at how God's dealing with other people. Amen. Leave your judgment out of it. Amen. Remember, God's almighty. God's the creator. And he can deal with his people how he chooses. 
that might not be the same way he dealt with you. And it doesn't mean that God's wrong. It doesn't mean that that individual necessarily is wrong. You just lack understanding on how God's working. So again, be careful in those areas. So God commands Job's three friends to take seven bullocks and and rams and and go to Job for for an offering, uh, for a sacrifice. And this is a rather large sacrifice, uh, likely commensurate with the sin of misrepresenting God. Uh, That's a big deal. To misrepresent the Creator, the Holy God. And so, interesting enough, he tells Job, or he tells them that Job will pray for them. And uh, he will not deal with them according to their folly. And we can, what a, what a blessed thing that we have a mediator, that we have an advocate in Christ, that God doesn't deal with us according to our folly because of Jesus Christ, the righteous. What a blessing to know that. Um, and certainly, so we can see that picture here um, in Job, Job acting as, as a priest, we might say. Um, but the interesting thing, look at, I think it's verse 8 or 9. It says, Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and rams, uh, <clears throat> and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept. Lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Look at what verse 9 says. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zephor the Naamathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. Obedience. Listen, we could save ourselves from a lot of heartache and a lot of affliction and a lot of trouble in our life if we would just be obedient. God had laid out something for them to do and they obeyed the commandment of God. Perhaps we should sing congregationally, trust and obey. Oh, that's a child song. That's for junior church. But us adults could learn a lot from that. Because we looked at it in weeks past how Job just trusted God. Certainly, he didn't understand everything. Certainly, he was going through affliction, and that brings up emotions and and challenges and frustrations. But all in all, he trusted God. He never cursed God. That was the devil's intent, to get him to curse God to his face. But he just trusted, and we saw how he kept the word, and he just remained faithful. Listen, we just need to trust and obey. We could save ourselves a lot of trouble if we would just simply trust and obey. So maybe perhaps we should reinvigorate that child's song here in the adult Sunday school class. We're not too old for that. Basic teaching. Uh, Trust our God. He's, He's trustworthy. And so they they're obedient. They do as God commands. But an interesting thing here, it appears to some extent God is looking for Job to forgive his friends who have deeply hurt him. They've said some hard things. They were miserable comforters. Hey, this isn't helping. And, but Job's going to pray for him. Or them, excuse me. Job's forgives and he prays for his friends. What a blessing. Albert Barnes says this. It says, This is a beautiful instance of nature and propriety of intercession for others. Job was a holy man. His prayers would be acceptable to God, and his friends were permitted to avail themselves of his powerful intercession in their behalf. But it was presumed now that Job would be ready to forgive all this, to welcome his friends to a participation in the same act 
of worship with him and to pray for them that their sins might be forgiven. Such is religion alike in the periodical age and under the gospel, prompting us to be ready to forgive those who have pained or injured us and making us ready to pray that God would pardon and bless them. Do you pray for your enemies? Do you pray for those that hurt you and despitefully use you? We see that Job was willing to do that. He was also obedient to God. What a blessing. And thank God for our intercessor in Christ. What a blessing. And so when Job, he, he repents of his presumptuous sins, we might say, or his attitude, and, and perhaps he, he responds in forgiveness and praying for his friends. That brings us to verse 10, and it says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had. How long did Job suffer? Anybody know? I tried to look it up, and I, I didn't find, I don't think there's a specific time that he suffered. But what I do know is we don't like to suffer. So sometimes when we are dealing with difficult situations or circumstances or things that afflict us, an hour can seem like a day. The agony of going through something in a day certainly seems like forever, like a week. But we don't really know. We know it was at least a week because his friends came and sat with him in silence for a week. Uh, We know his suffering came on suddenly. One messenger after another, as he yet speaketh, the word of God tells us. So it certainly came on quickly. Uh, But we don't have a hard timeline for the length. In chapter 2, verse 11, after hearing of Job's suffering, his friends make an appointment to gather with him to mourn and comfort him. How long did it take them to hear about his suffering, communicate with one another, and arrange the time to go meet with him? So there's, there's a period of time there. I, I don't know what it is. I don't think anybody can define that. None of the commentaries that I read could, um, which makes me feel better about my ability to look at some things. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot to learn, by the way. But. And then there, there's the time, perhaps, that could have been between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Remember all the the physical things that were taken from him in chapter 1, Satan goes again before God, and in chapter 2, we see that he's physically afflicted at that point. So there, there's some t- things that took place. We don't know exactly how long uh, his suffering was. But I, I found a few things that are, are worth noting right out of the book of Job. So it's at least seven days. Uh, some estimate this, and I don't know how they necessarily estimate this, but two years to 42 months. Is some of the stuff I saw. I don't know where they just... And there's some reason for the 42-month thing. I, I'm not going to... That's not. I don't want to focus on that today. But uh, nonetheless, in my experience, like I said, the deep tragedy when it occurs, it feels much longer than it really is sometimes because you're in so much pain and agony dealing with a difficult circumstance. Listen, the death of a loved one, months, years, people can grieve those things. And, and so... Uh, certainly things that happen in our life can feel like uh, they're much heavier than they are. But always remember, this too shall pass. However, chapter 7 and verse 3, it says, So am I made to possess months of vanity, and weary as some nights are appointed to me. So Job 
talking about months there. Chapter 29 of verse 2, it says, Oh, that I were in the months past, as in the days when God preserved me. So he's looking back in the months past when God, and so that would be potentially an indication that he had been in this affliction or in this adversity that God had allowed in his life for months, uh, at least a period of two, to be plural. You guys understand that? Singular. Some of you laugh. Most of you just look at me like this guy. But I don't, we, we don't know. I, at least I don't have an answer. I couldn't come up with a definite timeline. But one thing's for certain, he suffered greatly. Losing everything physically, being physically, his wife is telling him to curse his God and just die. And why don't you just give this thing up? His friends are of no help. He, he went through a miserable time. But Job chapter 1 and verse 22, in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He was faithful to his God. Despite this. And so we don't know how long he suffered, but listen, in chapter 42 and verse 10, it says God turned his captivity. Listen, God changed it. He, he brought him out of the captivity. He brought him out of this affliction. And <clears throat> sometimes we need to understand if we want God's full blessing, we must not only uh, get right with him, but we also need to be willing to forgive and pray for those who have wronged us. Job prays for these friends that weren't very friendly. He acts on their behalf to go before God and offer in a sacrifice another picture of our Savior. Those that spat in His face and, and beat Him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What a great example of how we ought to forgive. To be willing to forgive. But we get a chip on our shoulder. Ah, they don't deserve it. Well, they don't. You're right. You don't deserve it either. Christ died in your place. We need to be willing to forgive. Do you want God's blessing in your life? You need to be a forgiving person. Mark 6, 13 and 14, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Listen, you could be hindering your relationship with God the Father by your unwillingness to forgive others. Hindering prayer, hindering your walk with God because you just got a chip on your shoulder and they don't, you don't think they deserve it. And they don't. Listen, God will take care of all of it in the end. But we see in, in verse 11, Job's brethren, his sisters, they all come and they, and they uh, are there to mourn with him and to be a blessing to him. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all that they had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house and they bemoaned him, comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. And so certainly I would imagine as these gifts begin to pour in, he, we can make the assumption he perhaps buys some more cattle and begins breeding those things and, and, they, and they flourish uh, from there, uh, God blesses his, uh, his estate, I guess you could say, uh, from there. <clears throat> but we know that God blesses him greatly. In his latter days, he has 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 uh, she-asses, and it's twice as many as he had before. Uh, that's our God. Seven sons and three daughters, and, and uh, it says his daughters are the most beautiful around. I don't have any daughters, so that doesn't mean a lot to me. 
I just got a bunch of ugly boys, you know. So, but I, I think you understand the, the favor that God was placing upon him and his family and the great blessing it was uh, there. But Job, the Bible tells us he lived another 140 years. So how old was Job when all this came upon him? Good question. I'm glad you asked. So some people say he's 40 or 50, right? I like the idea of he was about 70 years old because God gave him twice as much, and so he lived another 140 years. I think we can make that argument. Um, And certainly Job had a long life. We know that... uh, Psalm 90.10, the days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, it is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So 70 or 80 years is the normal, and Job's living 140. So God greatly blesses Job in his latter end. Uh, I think we understand that. But guess what happens to Job in verse 17? So Job died being old and full of days. You're still going to die. No matter how much wealth you accumulate, no matter how much wealth you lose, no matter how much poverty you live in the entire time you're here, you will die. And if you haven't met Christ, you'll spend eternity in the lake of fire. If you haven't come to God through Jesus Christ. But Job dies here. And we cannot make the conclusion here from the life of Job or the example of Job that all adversity has a happy conclusion. Because that's not reality. People die what would seem to us as an untimely death. Things aren't always sunshine and butterflies at the end. We don't always get twice as much as we had before. We don't always live to a good old ripe age. God doesn't always do that. That doesn't make God any less good. But God does always write the last chapter. It may not be till we get to glory. And we just need to trust Him. In times of adversity, we need to remember that what the Lord says to Peter. And this is where it kind of goes along with Brother Sullivan's song there. But John 13, 7, and this is when Jesus is going to wash the disciples' feet and He comes to Peter and Peter doesn't want Him to wash His feet and And it says this, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Sometimes God is doing a work that we don't understand. It doesn't make sense. But listen, he'll reveal it all in his time. Sometimes that's the only promise we have during times of adversity. That he's just going to work it out in the end. And that always isn't the greatest comfort because we're living it day by day and it's hard and it's difficult and the afflictions there and the adversities there and the struggles are there. But do you remember the faith of Job in chapter 13? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Do we have that kind of faith that we would trust our God no matter what comes? I will maintain mine own ways before him. So listen, we just need to be obedient. Trust and obey. Uh, Trusting that God will reveal things later in a greater capacity. And so today, I want to encourage you with that. But as we prepare to close here, I got a couple practical applications or just, maybe not applications, but some reminders about some of the things that we 
we have seen. Adversity brings new meaning to the Bible, oftentimes. Your favorite Bible verses are often your favorite verses because they have given you hope and comfort during adversity. So don't despise adversity. Don't despise the affliction that God allows in your life because He's drawing you nearer to Himself. He's attempting to conform you to the image of Christ. Through each difficult circumstance, we might say. Through adversity, we experience the truth expressed in Psalm 119, verse 40. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. God's promises have been well tested. All of his promises have been well tested, so we love them. It gives us a greater appreciation and understanding and really a revelation of our God through his word in how he works. I would encourage you to write down your favorite verse and then explain why it's your favorite. Sometimes we don't take the time to really write down some of the things that God has done in our life. And I think there's some benefit and some help to that. I know as I've done it in the past, it's greatly helped me. I will never forget how God used Psalm 1611 in my life at a pivotal point. I'm ready to give up, quit. I don't even know what this Christian life's all about. But God just spoke to me, and really with that passage, but, um, and I, I understand there's much greater implications than what God was working in my heart at that time. And I understand that, that passage in a greater level than, than ever before. Well, let me read it to you. That will show me the path of life. In that presence is fullness of joy. At that right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And I understand the implications about uh, that being a prophetic psalm about Jesus Christ. And thou will not show for thy holy one to see corruption in the verses. I understand that now. But at the time, I didn't really know that. But God gave me that verse in the middle of the Utah desert. And it was just what I needed at that time. And what a blessing to know that at that time, I thought, man, I, I understand this verse. But lo and behold, there was so much more to it that I didn't understand. And over the course of time, God could continue to reveal himself to me through his word and just bring me along in such a greater fellowship with him. Our God is able to work far beyond what we can understand. And so certainly, adversity brings a new meaning to our Bibles at times. It can bring a compassion for others. No one can minister to parents who have lost a child like somebody that's experienced that. Certainly we can be there to try to comfort it, but if you haven't lived it, you don't really truly understand. You name the life experience, the difficult thing that God allowed in your life that you went through and, and you just you found comfort in the Word of God and you found comfort in, in trusting and being obedient to your God and now God can use you in a greater capacity to comfort others because you've been there. Uh, it, it can make us more compassionate. We can be better friends than what Job had is what I'm telling you this morning because we have experienced the same or similar tragedy. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. It says this, who comforted us in all our tribulation. And then it explains why. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So because we've experienced God and we've experienced how He can work 
and comfort us, we can now do that at a greater level for other people. What a blessing. We ought to be good stewards of adversity. We need to allow our pain to minister to those that are suffering now. A third one, adversity causes us to re-examine our priorities. It's a great priority adjuster, is it not, adversity? Sometimes we get off track. The freight train's going down the dirt road rather than the tracks. And God can allow adversity in our life. It certainly can change our minds of what's important in life. Having a loved one in the intensive care unit will cause you to re-examine your priorities. <clears throat> I remember when Caleb was born and he was in the ICU and he was premature and you know the, the way the doctors make it sound like this kid's not going to make it. But I remember re-examining myself and going, Lord, help us. Work through this. I need you. And it's a time where we can look at Psalm 139 and in light, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way to me and lead me in the way ever, ever, everlasting. It can adjust our priorities, having affliction in our life. I can't tell you how many times I was going along. Uh, was it Brother Lydic? Zippity doo. Zippity doo da day, just cruising along, and something happens. And then God speaks to me and says, Hey, Bonehead, what about this part of your life? God can readjust our priorities through affliction. It causes us to grow spiritually, does it not? I don't think it's any coincidence when the disciples experienced the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I believe it was a part of that day's curriculum that the Lord had for them. They had to experience the storm for their spiritual growth because it was an excellent opportunity for them to apply what Jesus would, was trying to teach them. And so gripped with fear among the violent storm, look at what the disciples asked Jesus in Mark 4.38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? When we think of our Heavenly Father, when we think of Jesus and the great love that he has for us, what a silly question. What an ignorant question. Foolish question. Certainly he cares. But most of us can identify with that feeling. We just don't feel like God cares. It causes us to grow spiritually. Well, who'd they turn to? The Lord. They, they wake him up. And so I believe the Lord allowed the storm so the disciples' faith could grow more rapidly. It accelerated their growth uh, spiritually. Adversity can humble us. Many times we have an ego problem. Ego problem. Not much can knock our ego and pride out of us like adversity. When you think you got everything figured out, and God throws a curveball in your life, and you realize, wow, I, I don't even know what to do here. I can't get through this without God. But we just need to trust Him. It builds character. If you want muscles, you must work out regularly over a period of time, months, years even, to build those things up. It seems like the fat accumulates much more rapidly and easier. 
Our faith certainly is not to exempt us from adversity, but to use adversity to make us more like Jesus Christ. It, it builds character. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that a tribulation worketh patience. This, this is part of a chain that God's doing in our life, and patience, experience, and experience hope, and hope making not ashamed because of the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. God builds us up through times of affliction as we learn patience to go through these things. Adversity has a purifying effect on our character. Search me, O God. Know my way. See if there be any wicked way in me. Sometimes adversity spotlights attitudes and sins that are negatively impacting our spiritual usefulness. It requires us to repent. So I want to leave you with a few verses as we conclude this. Because we certainly know God uses affliction to just draw us near to Himself. We must remember God has not forgotten us. And we can find comfort in His Word. Psalm 50, verse 10, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. One nineteen sixty seven. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. One nineteen seventy one. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Unless thy law had my delight, delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. Psalm one nineteen ninety two, And finally today, so 119, 143, trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet the commandments are my delights. So this morning, as you go through affliction in this life, I just want to remind you, trust and obey. Trust Him and be obedient, and God will work the, the affliction out according as He wills and for His glory.